Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Bias, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, so doggone glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Me llamo Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Namaste, shalom, wassalam alaikum. Good morning, good abend, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on today and discuss in the world of sports before I do. Anywhere where you're listening to this podcast, if you could do me a favor, anywhere, iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, Amazon, if you could do this for me, if you could go ahead, if you could download, if you could subscribe, if you could rate, if you could review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you could listen to, I would very much appreciate it. Thank you so doggone much. Recording this I'm recording this on a um, Tuesday. I wanted to get this out by Monday, but Monday I took a body pump class and Jenna just whooped our asses from the leg track to the back track to the chest track to the shoulder track to the lunge track to the ab track. It was uh, horrifically great. But when I was done, I was just like, yeah, I'm recording a podcast. I just want to sleep until next summer. So um, yesterday I just vegetated, but I'm feeling good, rip roaring, ready to go, and I'm recording this now, right in the middle of the Major League Baseball trade deadline. I knew that nothing really was happening. I know Scherzer was traded to the Texas Rangers from New York. New York now rebuilding. Not only uh, are they trading Scherzer, but uh, a couple of I don't know hours ago they traded Justin Verlander back to the Houston Astros, so in that chase for the American League West between the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros, they got themselves quote-unquote aces, even though I think Verlander is a much stronger ace, especially this year compared to Scherzer, who has fallen off, who fell off a little bit with his short time in New York. Let's see if changing teams, getting him back into contention can uh, help revive some of the magnificence that he had when he was with the uh, Washington uh, National, so we'll see about that. But uh, when Shohei Otani wasn't traded, it was kind of like, okay, when when we found out that Shohei Otani was going to stay with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, and even Anaheim then went ahead and started to try to build. They were buyers at the trade deadline to try to boast their chances of at least getting into the wild card spot. Can't really blame them. If you're going to lose Shohei at the end of the season, you might as well see what you can do to... Uh, 
win, see what you can do to um, get the best opportunity that you can for him to make it to the postseason. Who knows? A change of heart might happen, but uh, all intent and purposes, if you're not going to trade Shohei, again, you might as well be buyers and realize that Shohei is going to go up the uh, what up the five or go up to uh, LA, 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 and play for the Dodgers next year. Probably somewhere what around five hundred million dollars, ten year to contract, some nonsense like that. We'll see. We'll see. But um, yeah, the trade deadline for Major League Baseball is happening right now. So what I wanted to really talk about was the uh, boxing match on Saturday between Errol Spence and Bud Crawford. Everybody was speaking about, look, man, we all of us had predictions, right? All of us had the, the outcome, whether you had Spence, whether you had Crawford winning the fight. The one thing that we thought was going to happen was it was going to be a fantastic fight in terms of how competitive it was going to be. You could have gone with Spence. You could have gone with Crawford. You could have given great thoughts and opinions about why either one of those fighters were going to win. But one thing, I don't think anybody predicted that Crawford would dominate Spence the way that he did. And most definitely that he did. It's interesting because I watched, I didn't watch the fight live. I watched it on YouTube, saw rounds two through nine. So I didn't see the one round that uh, Errol won. But for the most part, I saw the destruction. I saw the dominance. I saw the masterful performance that uh, Crawford gave on Saturday night there at the uh, MG, at the uh, T-Mobile Arena uh, down the street here in Vegas. And uh, he was brilliant. He was absolutely positively undeniably brilliant but there's one thing through all of this that kind of bothered me and it just speaks to the mentality of boxing and and, and football in general and and, and these sports that uh, elicit such violence and such brutality on each other and their bodies and such the warrior mentality i mean if I, I was watching that fight and look i knew the outcome but i was watching that fight and i'm sitting there after round seven saying why in the hell is someone in spence's corner not throwing in the towel well, at the very least why isn't someone why isn't the trainer somebody saying after round seven the arrow look man you got to show me something you got to show me something that's going to make me believe that you're going to be competitive. Because if you're just going to sit there for another round or two or three or four until the end of the 12th round and take this ass whooping like you're doing, there's no sense of me bringing you back out there. There's no sense of us re- uh, uh, continuing this. We've got a rematch clause. We can do this at 154. There's just no reason for me to uh, send you back out there. If not after round seven, especially after round eight, when Spence wasn't showing nothing in terms of his opportunities to win or he had any chance to win. Errol Spence could have came out of round seven or round eight or could have gone into round nine with a weapon. Spence could have come out there with a baseball bat, swinging, swinging like Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Josh Gibson, Barry Bonds, and doggone Aaron Judge, and it wouldn't have made any difference. He didn't have a chance. So in that situation, why in the hell are you still going to take him? Why, are you, why in the hell if you're Spence's corner, why in the hell are you still going to send him out there when you know that he had no chance to win? If you, if you really thought he had a chance to win after round seven, then you're derelict in your duties. I don't understand it whatsoever. I know we have this fighting mentality and I want to go out and I'm a warrior and I want to go out on my shield. And Come on, man. Y'all... Let me tell you something, football players, boxers, UFC fighters, MMA fighters, 
this is the stuff that you do. You know, boxing is a profession for me to make money. As the great Bill Russell said, I play basketball. Basketball is not who I am. It should be that way for fighters. Look, man, I go out there to make money to support my family, to make sure that generations upon generations of my family members are taken care of financially. That's my job as a husband, as a provider, as a father. That's what I'm supposed to do. But once it's over, I'm, I'm, I'm not fighting for free. I'm not, I'm not swinging for free. You, you want to pay me to be, you want to pay me to be the fire fighter? Great. It's what I do, but I'm not going to carry this out and have it be the per- I'm not going to be synonymous with who I am as a human being, as a father, as a husband, as just an all-around guy or gal or whatever. So I don't understand why boxers, fighters, football players have this this mentality. I got to go out there. I got to go out there. Yeah, I'm losing, but I can't quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm a warrior, blah, blah, blah. Hey, man, make a business decision and just say, we'll just fight another day. If anybody, especially Errol Spence, coming back from that horrific car accident in which I I still don't believe, thank goodness that man didn't die in that car accident. If you would have, did you see the footage of that wreckage, of of the wreck itself? If you, if I would have showed you that wreckage and not told and not told you who that was, and I would have asked you the question, do you think that man lived or died? You would have said, "Nah, man, that guy's dead, or that gal is dead, or those people in there are dead. There ain't no way in heaven, hell, or anything in between that the driver or passengers or whoever survived that crash. Not only did Spence survive that crash, the man came back and was still dominant in the ring until Saturday. This is also a man in Errol Spence, who, who suffered a detached retina, which needed surgery. Detached retina is the injury that prevented Sugar Ray Leonard from fighting Aaron Pryor and, and Marvin Hagler for about three or four years. Well, drug abuse prevented Aaron Pryor and Sugar Ray Leonard from ultimately getting together, and timing prevented Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard fighting each other in their prime. And even when they weren't in their prime, you know, we all know that uh, Leonard stole that victory from Hagler. And that was the reason why Hagler said adios to boxing in Las Vegas. But I digress. But the situation was, this is a serious injury in terms of a detached retina, which Spence suffered. So if I'm caring about Errol Spence, look, I'm I'm not here to sit there and, and question whether the corner men or people in Spence's corner care about them. I'm quite sure that they do. I'm quite sure that they do, but I I just don't understand. Maybe I'm I'm not in the game. I not I don't have that fighter's mentality in that regard. You know, take me out my shield and this that and the other. If I'm getting my ass whooped and if I'm getting embarrassed, I'm like, let me see here. I got a fat check waiting for me at the end of this fight. Um, I have no chance of winning, and all I'm doing is just getting my ass whooped. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm living to fight another day. It's all right. It's all right, right? Don't we see that in other sports? When one team is way ahead of the other, doesn't the winning team or the losing team, don't they substitute and bring another people? If the Kansas City football team is beating the brakes off of somebody 45 to nothing midway through the fourth quarter, why does Patrick Mahomes still have to be in the ballgame? And my Washington commanders are getting smoked 42 to 7 with eight minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. Why do I still have Chase Young and um, Sam Howell in the game? If the Denver Nuggets are beating the Los Angeles Lakers by 27 points midway through the fourth quarter, why aren't the Lakers still having LeBron James and Anthony Davis out there? Doesn't make any sense. Live the fight another day, you never know what could happen. A man could twist his ankle, a man could blow out his ACL, a man could tear his Achilles. Who knows? 
So just get him out there and, and live to uh, compete for another day. I mean, who knows, especially in the game of boxing, something as violent and brutal as boxing, who knows when one fighter has had enough or when there'll be one punch too many. And I'm not talking about dying. I'm not talking about death in the ring. I'm just talking about chipping away at the quality of his life. Come on, man. When Errol Spence went into that ring on Saturday night, the fight Bud Crawford, and he got destroyed and beat up and dominated like he did. That took years. I don't know about years, but that took some time off of his life. Errol Spence will never be the same person physically before walking in to fight Bud Crawford than he was when he left. That's a fact. You, you can't take that ass whooping and just come back better or the same as you were when you came back in. So how do we know in terms of, hey man, did Errol Spence take too much punishment? After everything Errol Spence has been through with the car accident, the detached retina, the years of fighting, everything else accumulating, how do we know, when do we know, how will we know when Errol Spence has had enough? Now, I'm not speaking about Errol Spence retiring. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what damage is done. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a neurologist. I'm not any, any of those things. So, so I don't know. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen in that regard. But doggone, man, if I'm someone in Spence's corner, I'm like, hey, man, enough is enough. You got to get this. You got to learn how to uh, fight another day because it was absolutely unbelievably um, brutal. So Terrence Crawford beat Terrell Spence. TKO to unify the welterweight titles. Uh, moved his record. Crawford moved to a perfect 40-0, giving Spence his first loss at 29 fights. Uh, ninth round TKO at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, which means that Crawford gets to keep his WBO welterweight crown while unifying the WBC, the WBA, and the IBF titles formerly held by Spence. Again, just now moving to uh, Terrence Bud Crawford. Masterful performance type of the year type of performance displayed from Crawford. Again, Spence won round one, and then after that, it was a one-sided ass whooping. Everything turned with one punch when Crawford floored Spence in the second round. From that moment on, it was one-sided. It was domination. Knocked him down twice in round seven. Speaking about Crawford knocking down Spence twice in round seven, and then in round nine with 232 left to go, or um, 232 in the ninth, referee came in and said enough is enough. So um, when you take a look at the punch stats, Crawford outlanded Spence 185 to 96 in total punches, including an 87-33 edge in jabs and 98-63 in power punches. Crawford landing 185 of 369 punches, compared with 96 of 480 for Spence. And Crawford also landed 90... Listen to these numbers. Listen to these numbers for Crawford. Landed 98 of 163 power punches. Landed 185 of 369. That's damn near 50%. Half the punches that Crawford threw, he landed. And almost six out of every ten punches, power punches that Crawford threw, he landed. And every punch was thrown with power and precision. Whether it was a left hook, whether it was a counter right uppercut, whether it was a jab, it was dominant. It was dominant. The jab was backing Spence up. The jab. 
had spent um, weary out there. It was it was amazing, man. It was amazing performance by Bud Crawford, which now we take a look and we say, do we want a rematch? Should there be a rematch? Spence, after the fight, was like, hell yeah, I want a rematch. Let's move this up to 154 and we'll get it done. And while he issued no excuses after the fight, saying, hey, look, man, no excuses. I agreed to the weight. Crawford was a better man. He's the better man tonight, this, that, and the other. I think if they're going to do this at 154, I thought 154, if I'm Crawford, I'm like, why not do this at 154? Maybe with the exception of Jamar, Cello, uh, Jamar uh, Charlo, is there any other fight out there that's going to be a bigger payday than um, the second fight with um, Spence, even though we saw at 147 the one-sided domination, the one-sided ass-whooping that uh, Terrence gave Errol? Even at 154, though, that's still going to be the best moneymaker for Crawford, who's going to be turning, what, 36 in a month or so? So as he's seeing the... He's, he's closer to the end of his career than the, than the beginning of his career. Look, his legacy is now set. Now it's just time to uh, cash in the biggest checks that he can get. And that's a situation where Terrence Crawford fighting Errol Spence in the boxing scene makes the most sense for Crawford to go ahead and get those dollars and those cents. So you can throw out the narrative. I mean, you you can, you know, spin the narrative when they're going to be fighting again, if they fight again, to say, hey, look, man, you know, Spence was at 147. He's a natural 154. He was drained. He didn't look right. He was too tired. It was a terrible cut to get down to 147 to fight uh, Crawford, who fought the, uh, who had the performance of his life. So you, you can try to spin this, or you can spin this to where, look, the taste and the memory and the feelings and the emotions that we saw, that we're feeling, after we saw that fight, while we were watching that fight, the outcome of that fight, once all of that is dissipated, and now we move away from that, and Spence is speaking about, I want to get back in the ring, like in, uh, he said, December or something like that. I don't know, it might be a little bit more. I would give him, I have to give him a little bit more time than that to heal and recover from that ass whooping that he received from Crawford. But uh, I think when they're ready to uh, run it back, and Crawford said, look, I'm tired of, I'm tired of uh, going to 147 myself. So this is a situation where, yeah, we can do this at 154. What what makes you think the outcome at 154 is going to be any different than 147? That's my question to you. Would you want to see this again? And I know just the curiosity aspect of it to see it again. We all want to see two champions do their thing. And, you know, because we love the sports, because we are the fight, because we are fight fans, yes, we can buy into the notion. Yes, we will buy the story that Spence was drained, Coming in at 147, and he had a bad cut, and all these other things, and he hadn't fought in a while, and that the Tacharetna, and all these other things, but now, you know, he's going to be a much better fighter, and who doesn't like a redemption story, and this, that, and the other, so, you know, just based on that, along with the fight that, uh, the fact that we'll be fight fans, we're going to go ahead, and we're going to watch this fight again, but do you think the outcome will be any different, and when I say, do you think the outcome will be any different, what I'm saying is, do you think the outcome will be any different in terms of the competitive level? Because Crawford should be a huge favorite to uh, in, in the second fight. My question is, can Spence even make this competitive? Can Spence make this to where he just gets beat soundly and not dominated? I mean, there's people out there speaking about after this beatdown and everything that he's been through that Errol Spence should retire. And I'm not saying it's that bad. Spence is going to be, what, Spence is 33 years old? 
So yeah, man, get another bite at the apple and, you know, take one more big bag to the bank if you can. Don't let one fight define you in terms of you moving forward about uh, your, your ability to make some money. But uh, it, it's a situation where, look, man, I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing this again, but I don't know if the outcome is going to uh, be any different. So, again, it would be at 154. You take a look at the options for Crawford if he remains at 147. The most attractive fight is going to be a matchup with uh, Boots Ennis, who's, you know, who really isn't known yet. So if you're Terrence Crawford, why do I want to stay around 147 when I don't want to make the cut at 147 to fight a guy who's dangerous where I'm not going to be paid for? But at 154, Crawford could go to Australia and fight Tim uh, Zhu, um, Costa Zhu's uh, kid, and make a, and make some money there. Um, he's a guy who could also, again, fight um, Jamar Charlo. Charlo. I know Charlo is going to be fighting uh, Canelo Alvarez. Based on how he does against Alvarez, there could be maybe a thirst to see that fight, but uh, I would definitely say that Crawford and Spence is going to be the rematch. It's just going to be a matter of when and where and not if. It's definitely going to be made quicker. The second fight should be made a lot quicker than the first fight did. So now you take a look at the um, pound-for-pound rankings, right? Who's the best pound-for-pound? When I always... I was listening to Al Bernstein the other day, and Al, Al Bernstein, who's an awesome guy, great guy, Bernstein was uh, speaking about, look, I'm just not a pound-for-pound pound guy. It just doesn't make any sense. I know that's more for just, you know, um, barbershop talk and water cooler talk in terms of, you know, pound-for-pound, pound, who's this and who's that, who's ranked in the top five and top ten in terms of the pound-for-pound. Pound. There's really no way to know. Um, that's true. It's almost like college football and basketball rankings, right? When you speak about top five, top ten teams in the country and all that type of stuff. Same thing when you're speaking about the pound for pound for it boxing. So for me, the pound for pound only makes sense for when the fighters, if if you have pound for pound greats who have the ability to fight each other. So it, I thought the pound for pound rankings played a role in terms of Crawford and Spence because they, op- they had the opportunity to fight each other. So no, so now you could throw that into the mix to try to get more dollars, to try to get more interest, to gin up, uh, up more interest in folks watching that fight because now we have two pound-for-pound pound greats currently going at each other. But when you speak now at the top pound-for-pound uh, uh, pound, and you have someone like... Um, Bud Crawford in in a way as your number one and number two guys your number two and number one guys whatever you want to say um, should be number one for me yeah that pound for pound really doesn't make any sense because neither one of those fighters are going to be fighting each other so who really cares if you have a Noah anyway or uh, uh, Terrence Crawford at number one or number two? It really doesn't matter. None of those guys are going to be fighting each other. So both of those guys are not going to be fighting each other. Noa was absolutely spectacular, fantastic, unbelievable when he became the new junior featherweight unified world champion um, that past Tuesday in Japan when he dominated and destroyed champion Stephen, uh, Stephen Fuller in eight rounds. Crawford his win over Spence made him the first male boxer to hold all four major titles in two different weight classes at 140 and now at 147 pounds. Now, with the all with the likelihood of him moving up, 
So who knows when we're speaking about uh, pound for pound? What's your definition of what a pound for pound fighter should be currently? Well, I mean, what your definition could be a lot different than mine, which could determine which one is better or which one you say would be better. Let me tell you something, man. When you're trying to find out who's better or who's the pound for pound great, who should be number one when you're speaking about in a way. And when you're speaking about Crawford, it's it's almost like trying to find out in '92 who's a who who's who's more attractive, Halle Berry or or um, Halle Berry or Selma Hayek. Who knows? And who cares? Because either way, you're going to be happy, right? If you think Halle Berry, if you have to settle, <laughs> if as a man, if you have to settle for either Selma Hayek or Halle Berry, are you really going to be that upset? <laughs> the same thing with hey man whether you think in a way or Crawford is number one does it really matter <laughs> both of those guys are great both of those guys are awesome let's let's not quibble let's not sit here and talk about that nonsense there's no way to find out well we can kind of we, we can find out we have a better understanding when you're speaking about pound for pound great if they actually fight each other because then you'll have something to go on that's very tangible for you to say, ah, yes, I think that this person is better than that person. The top five pound for pound are the two guys that are pound for pound greats. Why do I say one guy is better than the other? Oh, because they actually fought each other. Now, you can make the argument that we really can't get a good understanding between Spence and Crawford until they fight that Spence is more natural 154 pound weight. But the dominance that was Bud Crawford on Saturday night left no doubt in terms of who was the better fighter between those two top six pound-for-pound fighters. So, look, man, whether you want Inouye or whether you want Crawford, go for it. You're going to be happy. You're going to be happy, happy, happy with either one. All right. Uh, The NFL football training camps, they have started. They are underway. And we've been speaking about, my goodness gracious, these running backs and the Saquon Barkleys and the Tony Pollards and the Josh Jacobs and the uh, running backs that are getting screwed. Well, one running back who's a top-tier running back has said, you know what, I've had enough, and I'm willing to take drastic measures to do so. I'll tell you who that running back is, what his plight is, and what the outcome could be next on Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. 
a lot of things going on in the world of sports. Yeah, man, I love this mentality. These fighter mentalities, man. Remember, um, <laughs> I'll get to my tease. I'll, I'll pay off the tease just for a second. I just wanted to throw something something out, though. Um, remember when Deontay Wilder, he fired Mark Breland um, because of that stoppage of um, when Tyson Fury was whooping up on him and Mark Breland said, enough is enough. And Wilder was speaking about, yeah, man, I'm a warrior and I need to go out on my shield and blah, 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 blah. Just come on, man. Just come on. And Mark Breland got fired over that. And I'm sitting up here talking to myself. Come on, man. Deontay, really? Man, you you're a, you you have, how many kids does he have? Like four, five, or six, something like that? So he's got five or six kids. He's got a wife. And you're speaking about, man, I want to go out on my shield. I want to be knocked out, this, that, and the other. Hey, man, let me tell you something. Let me, let me tell you the reason why I'm in the fight game. If I'm these fighters, let me tell you. If I'm, if I'm and I'll pay off the tees with the NFL in just a second. I want to make this point, then I'll move on. If I'm Deontay Wilder, you know what my mentality is? And maybe fighters will say, well, that's the reason why you're not a fighter, let alone being a world, world champion. All right, but still, my deal is this. Look, I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to do my very best to win this fight. But if I'm getting my ass whooped, and I'm getting physically harmed, I have to remember that, look, I'm doing this to make sure that my wife and my kids and my grandkids and my great-great-grandkids and my legacy is intact in terms of making sure that in the 22nd century, which is going to be, oh, I don't know, in about uh, 77 years from now, in the 22nd century, I still want Wilder's to be living large. That's how much money I want to make. That's how much money I need to get. And I don't got 40 or 50 years. I don't got 30 years, 20 years, 10 years to make that generational, multiple generational type money. If I'm Mark Breland, who at the time fighting Fury was what, in his mid-30s, early 30s? I've got maybe five years tops to try to make money that's going to last my, you know, last my generations of folks you know, years and years. I, I, I only have a certain amount of time to do so. So getting taken out on my shield is not going to help me take care of my great great grandkids. That's not gonna. That's not gonna help me whatsoever because I'm not going to be getting the same payday if I continually get taken out on my shield by Tyson Fury. I'll go ahead, take the L, bend this decision. We'll learn. We'll uh, live to fight another day. So I just wanted to throw that out there, Mark Breland got fired the man got fired Deontay Wilder fired him because he was saving him from himself so whatever man whatever Wendell's World of Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us okay now back to the NFL sorry sorry for not getting back not immediately getting to the tease but I went to the boogie break and I didn't uh, get that out and I wanted to. So uh, Indianapolis Colts, Jonathan Taylor, he has now requested to be traded. Jonathan Taylor, the running back from the Colts, is one of the better running backs and one of the, if not, maybe Derrick Henry, maybe still, but uh, Jonathan Taylor is still one of the top tier quarter, uh, running backs in the league as well as being one of the most potent offensive weapons when he's right. Um, he's looking to be traded. So he's taking things now to the extreme. According to the uh, NFL, according to NFL report, reporter Ian Rappaport, um, Taylor has formally requested a trade following a meeting with owner Jim Ursay on, uh, on Saturday. Despite the request, Ursay was adamant the running back would not be traded. Taylor previously told reporters this summer that he's seeking a contract extension and wanted to be a Colt for life. As you know, again, Taylor is one of the top running backs in the league. 
Um, how do we know? He's averaging 108 yards from scrimmage over the past three seasons, which is only topped by Derrick Henry, who's making, I believe, Henry's making, I believe, $13 million, and Dalvin Cook, who is right now visiting the New York Jets or the Miami Dolphins, or the Buffalo Bills, or the New England Patriots. One team in the AFC East looks like it's going to have the services of Dalvin Cook, but Cook, again, is a free agent. So the best running backs have notably tried and failed to get a suitable long-term contract from their teams this offseason. Again, we take a look at Los Angeles Chargers' Austin Eckler, the Giants, Saquon Barkley, who signed, what, an $11 million tenure because he had the epiphany to go ahead and sign that deal. So hopefully for Saquon Barkley's sake that he can again reiterate the fact that the New York Giants on offense success and one of the reasons why Daniel Jones got himself a nice big contract extension was because of the things that Saquon Barkley can do and maybe knowing again, showing again how valuable Barkley can be and more importantly being healthy that can maybe entice the New York Giants to give him a long-term deal, but he signed a one-year tenure, but so he didn't get paid like he wanted to get paid. The Las Vegas Raiders, Josh Jacobs, he's talking about missing training camp because he didn't get a long-term deal that he wanted, and the Dallas Cowboys, Tony Pollard, replacing Ezekiel Elliott, the man who signed a six-year, $90 million contract, which... I think that contract is still having an impact on these running backs getting paid the money that they should be making. Tony Pollard had to go ahead and sign a one-year tenure to uh, stay, or for the uh, franchise tag, he was franchise tag, to sign a one-year deal to be with the Dallas Cowboys. So with Jonathan Taylor, who's contract is coming up and he's like hey look man I need to get paid I want to get paid and I think that Taylor's situation becomes more complicated because according to what a source told ESPN uh, Taylor reported back pain during his pre-training camp uh, physical that was deemed to be a form of injury that was not sustained while playing for Indianapolis so now the situation the uh, team, the Colts, are considering whether to place Taylor on the non-football injury list, which could result in Indianapolis withholding his salary. Ah, be interesting to see exactly what happened in terms of Taylor um, um, messing up or injuring his back. I mean, there's different situations for him, you know, injuring his back to where the Colts are not going to be able, the Colts, the Colts should not be able to uh, pay him. If Taylor was injuring his back because he was water skiing, motorcycle riding, doing something dumb in that regard, yes, Indianapolis has the right to say, no, we're not going to pay you. But, I mean, just for the optics of it, if he was injuring or if he injured his back getting ready to play for the Colts this season, I mean, you could make the argument somehow, some way. I don't know what the language is in this contract, or I don't know how this could be presented. But my my, my situation, if I was trying to get uh, the Colts to pay Taylor his money, if this was an injury that Taylor sustained while not at the Colts football facilities or doing something Indianapolis Colts football related on the premises or in, in within the confines or the framework of the team, I would say, look, Taylor injured his back because he was training to get ready to be the workhorse for your team. So that's the reason why he injured his back. So because of that, there should be some stipulation in there where he should be getting at least some money but not uh, uh, having his entire salary withhold, withheld. 
never, you know, needless to say, uh, Taylor ain't too happy about that. According to the source, failure, uh, Taylor failed his physical because of a combination of a previous ankle injury for which surgery was performed earlier in the year and the back surgery. So, eh, whatever, whatever. The team's medical staff had not previously discussed a back issue with Taylor and the Colts were unaware of the problem until Taylor reported on Tuesday. So, Basically, that's where we're at right now. We have one guy who's wanting to be traded. We have the owner of the team, Jim Irsay, who's like, no, we don't want him to be traded at all. And I know Irsay made some comments on Twitter like, you know, um, you know, if I stop owning the Colts today and Jonathan Taylor never plays it down, no one's going to care or some nonsense like that. It was something to where it was, it was like, yeah, that might be true, but why in the hell are you going to say that? It's almost like if you have, if you're married and you have, um, if you're in a relationship with a female and, um, you know, you notice that your wife has been gaining weight and she looks a little bit more plump and she asks, am I gaining weight? Do I look fat? I mean, if you say yes, you're not lying. And if she's gaining weight and if she is fat, you're not lying. But is that the right thing to do? No, no. So why are you going to go ahead and say that? Why make the situation even worse? Why even go down that route if you don't have to? Same thing with Jim Irsay. Jim Irsay didn't have to come out in public and be speaking about, hey, you know what? If Jonathan Taylor never plays another down in the NFL, no one's going to miss him. Just like if I sell my team, my ownership stake in the uh, Indianapolis Colts, uh, nobody's going to be missing me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Because as long as the games are being played on Sunday and Monday and sometimes Thursday, yeah. The, the league will go on. But why are you going to go ahead and say that and infuriate and upset um, one of the key cogs, one of the key members of your team? So it'll be interested moving forward what happens here. I, 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 I just feel with all of the changes or when you're speaking about where the Colts are going, where the, cult, where the Colts are looking to go, why would you not want to give Jonathan Taylor a contract extension. Now, we can fuss, we can quibble in terms of what that contract should be. More importantly, how long the contract should be. And I think that's really where a lot of the angst is coming in. A lot of the um, obstacles are coming in in terms of these running backs, these top-tier running backs, these important running backs. I think that's where the um, obstacles are being placed in terms of what would you be what would be considered fair compensation for your services maybe not so much in the dollar amount because of course the year by year dollar amount is important but when you're speaking about years and you're speaking about running backs and I mentioned this before on my podcast um last week the situation where a lot of these running backs they get they want to get paid or they want to get paid for past performances and unlike quarterbacks or wide receivers and such the pounding and the beating that these running backs receive when they are establishing themselves as top tier running backs the money that they should be compensated for when they were performing before they asked for that contract now they're asking it on the back end and and, and owners are like well no wait a minute here you're not going to be the same player if if you're someone who has rushed the ball or touched the ball a certain amount of times between the ages of 23 and 25, I can't then give you a five or six year contract based on what you're going to be doing between the ages of uh, 29 and 34, because that's basically, that's not going to be the same output 
than what you did when you were 23 between the ages of 23 and 28. And that's the type of salary you want to get paid for. You want to get paid for the production that you did in the past. But in the future, that ain't going to equate. So I can't pay you for that. And I can't give you a six or seven year deal when you're 27, 28, 29 years old. Now, in Taylor's case, he's 24 years old. But this is a guy who missed some time last year because of injury. So when you're speaking about the rule changes, when you're speaking about the game being more pass-friendly, pass-heavy, when you're speaking about the importance of a quarterback, then I can understand in some regards why these owners are like, nah, man, I can't give you a six- or five- or six-year deal. See what happened with Todd Gurley in the Los Angeles Rams. See what happened to Ezekiel Elliott with the Dallas Cowboys. See what happened with all these other uh, uh, running backs who got paid after the facts. And if you're someone like Saquon Barkley, and if you're someone like Jonathan Taylor, who has had a history of injury, when you speak about Saquon, who, what, missed most of the season one year because he blew out his knee? I mean, there's a situation now where these owners are starting to become a little gun-shy, especially when you're speaking about the NFL and the hard salary cap. I mean, you can't afford to be making mistakes like that. You can't afford to be making mistakes. If you want to make a mistake, you make a mistake on a quarterback. You don't make a mistake on a running back. I mean, a quarterback could be a little bit more justified because of how important the um, position is for the team. It might hurt you more in the long run if you miss and whiff on a quarterback and give him a long-term extension or a long-term deal and he doesn't pan out. But that's a little bit more justified. I can stomach that a little bit more than giving um, a running back uh, X amount of dollars for X amount of years, a ridiculous amount of money for a ridiculous amount of years, five, six, seven years, when a man has passed his 26th, 27th birthday and he doesn't pan out. And I think these GMs who want to save their jobs, they know that. They take a look at some of the uh, success from running backs that have not been first round draft picks that have not been making a boatload of money they say that uh, or they see that that position in some ways can be uh, easily replaced you don't need to have a quote unquote franchise running back and again when you see the money that these quarterbacks have been getting in the offseason when you see the guaranteed money that Deshaun Watson made when you see the money that Lamar Jackson made when you see the new contract that uh, Justin Herbert uh, made. When you see the upcoming contract that Joe Burrow is going to sign, you can't afford to be you know, paying big, big money for a running back, especially when everything, again, is centered around that quarterback and it's a situation where, okay, what do we need to do to justify us paying this money to these quarterbacks? What can we do to help justify that so as a GM, I can keep my job? Well, I need him upright because I can't be paying this guy X amount of dollars when he's going to be be when he's going to be beat up all the time and not going to be able to play. So I have to invest money in the offensive linemen. I have to invest in wide receivers. I have to do all of these things. So because of that, in the in in, in the pecking order of importance, all of a sudden now running backs are diminished. And I think that's somewhat unfair because, again, we saw the impact that Saquon Barkley had on the Giants and on Daniel Jones and how well he did. You can see now the importance that Jonathan Taylor is going to have with the Indianapolis Colts next year or this upcoming year. When you speak about if you're going to be starting Anthony Richardson as your quarterback, it should be paramount. It should be a no-brainer.
that you would want to have Jonathan Taylor, one of the best offensive weapons uh, as uh, back there to give the rock to. If you're going to try to establish, uh, uh, Stace Shikin, the, the head coach for the uh, Indianapolis Colts, if you're going to be looking to establish a running game, well, then what better running back to have to establish a running game, especially when you want to make the transition of Anthony Richardson from college to the NFL as smooth as possible, especially when you're speaking about a guy in Anthony Richardson who's more of a project. In terms of being ready for the NFL, he's closer to Anthony Richardson. He's closer to being Trey Lance than he is of being Joe Burrow. So, you know, if I'm the Indianapolis Colts, of all of the running backs who are needed, I think as you take a look at these guys, I think it's the, uh, I think Jonathan Taylor um, is the one that, hey, look, man, you, you got to pay me. So it's a situation where I think running backs, especially if you're speaking about Jonathan Taylor, a guy who's 24 years old, three-year deal, a three-year three-year deal, four-year deal at the very most. If you pay Jonathan Edwards, look, it's not my money. I'm not writing the checks, but I would think three years, forty-five million dollars, and with that forty-five million. I would say at least $30 million of that is guaranteed, and I would give him a nice big fat signing bonus. That's what I think. That, that, that way, let's see how he does. We're still speaking about he'll be in the prime of his career. He'll be paid the highest paid running back in the game right now is, Chris, is uh, Christian McCaffrey making $16 million. So if Taylor is making you know somewhere around that much, like, you know, as I mentioned before, three years, $45 million, which equals somewhere between $15 million a year. We'll throw in some incentives also um, to see what we can do to ultimately get him to $16 million or $16 uh, plus. That would be my deal. But I'm, I'm not, even at age 24, I'm not signing, I'm not signing Jonathan Taylor to a five or six year contract. And also another thing you also have to uh, take into account with these running backs coming into the league and establishing themselves and then wanting wanting to get paid what they have established themselves as top-tier players, important players at their position and on their team. Jonathan Taylor played three years at Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a run-heavy type of uh, football program. So Jonathan Taylor, when he was at Wisconsin, he got himself a lot of carries. So we're speaking about a guy who played three years in college, averaged over, what, 250 touches per season. So now you're taking a look at a guy who's already coming into the league with, with somewhere close to 1,000 touches already. Already that mileage. It's like buying a new used car, right? I mean, it's pretty good. It's cool. The fact that you can buy, it ain't new. It doesn't have five miles on it. It might only have, I don't know, 11, 12,000 miles on it. So basically, practically is new, right? But it's been used before. So sometimes you have to take into account the football program, the college football program where they came from. How many touches did he have during his playing career at that university? And then how is that going to translate long term in terms of the wear and tear? Because again, if you already have a thousand touches, close to a thousand touches already coming into the league, and we want and we want to make you the main option for our running game, for our running attack, and have you uh, carry the ball somewhere between two hundred and fifty and three hundred times in in, in um, uh, as as a pro, well then how long how is that going to look when you reach thirty? 
how is that going to look when you reach 32? What's your performance going to be by the time you reach that age? And we're speaking about the versatility of running backs. I mean, someone like a Christian McCaffrey, someone like a Saquon Barkley, someone like that who can actually catch passes out of the backfield, that's, that's invaluable. And it's going to save them some of the wear and tear than, whether, than, than someone like a Derrick Henry who's built like the side of a mountain, who's built like an Empire State building, who's built like a brick wall, just giving him the ball and just saying, run up the middle and let eight or nine guys on every single play hit you. And we'll have you do that 25, 30 times a game. How much of a wear and tear is that going to be for Derrick Henry, who's making $13 million? How's that, how's that wear and tear going to last when he's 30, 31, 32 years old and he's looking for a contract extension based on how important that he was for the offense of the Tennessee Titans two, three, four years ago? So all of those things, man, that comes into play. But for uh, Jonathan Taylor, yeah, I would, uh, I would uh, hold out. And if I'm the Indianapolis Colts, knowing that I have – I mean, you're speaking about the Colts trading him. Ursay say that he's not going to trade him. But you got to pay him. And if you're Jonathan Taylor, are you really willing are you really willing to sit out the entire season? Are you really willing are you ready to do a Le'Veon Bell? That's going to cost you millions upon millions of dollars. I don't care about principal and all that kind of stuff, hey man. Sitting out for 9-10 million dollars that doesn't make you principal, that makes you a fool. Especially if you're speaking about the limited amount of time that you have to earn that money. Ask Le'Veon Bell how that worked out for him. So, you know, it's a situation where, hey, look, if he's going to hold out, uh, we'll see what happens the first couple of games. If this is going to last into the regular season... First first game, second game, but we'll, we'll see how that we'll see how that works out. We'll see how that uh, we'll see how that pans out for him. And then we still got to get through this this stuff about the Colts not wanting to pay him or the Colts mulling over the idea of not paying him because of the injury that he uh, received or that the injury that's not allowing him to play the the back injury, which is not allowing him to participate in training camp. All camp, all of those things will come into play. All right, man, let me see here. Yeah, I'll talk about Joe Burrow a little bit later. The calf injury is only going to be out for a couple of weeks. He'll eventually get paid. Justin Herbert uh, getting paid five years, $262 million. Very nice. The Chargers now have secured that franchise quarterback. I don't know if this puts more pressure or more spotlight for the commanders. My commanders, Washington commanders, Chase Young, or the um, Miami Dolphins with Tua Tungavailoa, because those are the two players that were chosen before Justin Herbert. So I know Young has missed time with some injuries. If he doesn't uh, make it in Washington, then, man, we're going to be taking a look back at that draft and be like, damn, damn, damn. So all of those things. And look, man, as the season gets closer, we'll talk about the do- We'll talk about the New York Jets, and we'll talk about the Dallas Cowboys. We'll talk about if Dak Prescott can do this, and if Aaron Rodgers can do that, and all of those other things. I'm just not ready to speculate just yet. I'm not ready to get into uh, that type of nonsense. I'm not get. I'm not ready yet to be speaking about is Dak Prescott. We're going to be doing this week by week. We're going to be doing this week by week when the regular season starts. 
Dak Prescott's going to have a good game. Oh, he's been, he's gotten better. He's been vindicated. He is going to, he is worth the money, this, that, and the other. And then he'll have a bad game. Oh, my goodness. If Prescott, is Prescott the guy? Should he be benched, this, that, and the other? Same thing with Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. Lord have mercy if the Jets lose their first game of the season. Oh, my goodness. The Jets lose their season opener. What does that mean? It's like, oh, my God, really? We're going to do this after week one and then week two and then week three? We're going to be doing the week by week. Oh, my goodness. What does this mean long term after the first month of the season with the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Jets? Really? Because one team has Aaron Rodgers and the other team has Jerry Jones as its owner. Really? We're going to be doing this nonsense? Buckle yourself. Brace yourself. But I'm not going to fall into that trap just yet. So I just wanted to get the Jonathan Taylor situation and talk a little bit more about the plight of the running backs. When we come back, um, LeBron James' kid suffered cardiac arrest. Um, Thank the Lord, thank Jesus, thank Allah, thank whoever you want to thank that um, he has recovered. Seems like he has recovered. What is the future of Bronny James? If you were LeBron James and that were your son, what would your thoughts and what, what would your thoughts and opinions be about him moving forward? Not just in life. I'm talking about as far as the basketball career is concerned. Is it even too early to start speculating on that? Those things that I will be discussing will be next. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. You're leaving for Last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with you with us. Thank you so much for being with me. I very much appreciate it. As I speak about what's happening, what is going on in the world of sports here on this on this August first. I can say August 1st as we move into what's happening with the NFL season and all that kind of stuff. Again, I'll, I'll get with the Cowboys and the and the New York Jets and everybody else a little bit later on. But I, I can't do the, uh, I can't do the, uh, you know, how, how does this team look? How is this team? Well, it's amazing how we, it's amazing how we don't learn. It's amazing how people don't learn their lessons. And now people want to freak out one way or the other, depending upon who their team is after the first month of the season or the first two months of the season. Especially, again, if you're a Cowboys uh, if you're a Cowboys fan. 
with a Dak Prescott and such. I mean, come on, y'all. Please, please just give it a rest. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, LeBron James' son, Bronny. LeBron James Jr. Thank goodness. Thank Allah. Thank Jehovah. Thank whoever you want to thank. Is out of the hospital right now. Um, he suffered a cardiac arrest. Um, let me see. According to TMZ Sports, James suffered a cardiac cardiac arrest on July 24th. A 911 call was made around 9:26 a.m. from the USC Galen Center in Los Angeles, California, where the USC Trojans basketball team plays and practices on July 27th, 2023. Marley James was released from Sears Cyanide Medical Center. The consulting cardiologist for James wrote this statement via ESPN. Um, quote, thanks to the swift and effective response by the USC athletic medical staff, Bronnie James was successfully treated for a sudden cardiac arrest. He arrived at Cedar Sinai Medical Center fully conscious, neurologically intact, and stable. Mr. James was cared for promptly by, tight, by highly trained staff and has been discharged home where he is resting. Although his work up to will be ongoing, we are hopeful for his continued progress and are encouraged by his response, resilience, and his family and community support. So thank goodness for that. I think TMZ also said that uh, he was out, uh, Bronny James was out playing uh, a piano. I think it was on TikTok or Instagram or one of them uh, places um uh, LeBron took a picture of him uh, playing the piano. His son Bryce was with him. Uh, LeBron James' uh, younger son Bryce was with the family also. So a family outing. So it looks like, thank, thank the Lord, that um, Bronny is going to survive. By the way, can, can we stop, please? Because one of the things I always like to do is like some of these uh, stories like this, or if it, can, if it concerns LeBron James or something like that, I always like to um, go to the comment sections on Twitter, or now it's what they call X, or Twitter, social media, and I like to I like to read the comments only to justify my thoughts and feelings that uh, we are dirtbags as a country um, because you know plenty, 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 plenty of folks saying you know get well soon, prayers up, all those type of things. But then you have the trolls, then you have the jackasses, then you have the assholes who want to sit there and talk about, um, you know, another example of a young athlete getting a heart attack because he took the vaccine. Really, guys? Really? You, you got to throw that out there, huh? You just can't. I mean, don't say anything at all if you ain't got something intelligent to say. You know, or another another athlete dying or having a heart attack because... He's been vaccinated, so we, we got to turn this. At least I didn't see anybody saying, uh, well, if uh, Michael Jordan, I bet you Michael Jordan's uh, son wouldn't have done that. That's the reason why Jordan's a better basketball player than, than LeBron. I'm glad we didn't get to that stupidity, which it just seemed like, you know, LeBron can't do anything um, positive without some jackass from my generation opening up his uh, yap talking about, oh, yeah, well, if, if that was Jordan, this, that, and the other, we can't have a Jordan highlight without somebody taking a shot at LeBron at LeBron for some for some reason. But then again, when you live in a, on a planet full of assholes and jackasses and, and dimwits, those are the things that happen. But my question now with this, whew, thank goodness Bronny is out of the hospital. He seems to be doing well. Is on his way to recovery. Now, if you're a parent, 
if you're the parent, and of course we have to go through the, I'm quite sure your answer is going to involve some type of, like, look, man, we've, I've got to talk to doctors. I, you know, if I'm LeBron James, I have the resource, I have the access to some of the best, you know, medical folks in the world. So the opinions that I'm going to be getting are from the top of the top, the cream of the crop, if I could use that cliche, in terms of the diagnosis, the long-term diagnosis, the uh, health uh, part of my son and the thoughts and opinions going into this. But uh, if I'm LeBron, or if you're LeBron, or if you had the access to LeBron, if, if you were in his position with your son, and your son suffered this injury, and your son was on the same caliber of a basketball player as Bronny, a.k.a. a guy who had the potential to possibly be in the NBA in either a year or two before this happened, where are you going? What type of uh, communication, what type of conversations are you having? I mean, if this is a situation where you're kind of like, hey, look, man, mm-mm, ain't no Hank Gathers and ain't no Reggie Lewis here. No, you are. Not, your basketball playing days are over. They're over. Hey, man, I'm worth a billion dollars. You can go to school to learn how to run my business or help me run my business. Or you can, you know, join the family business right now. And, you know, me and my boys will teach you how to run the business because you don't need to be a successful entrepreneur by getting a business degree or a communication degree or a college degree. That's been proven time and time and time and time again. But LeBron has stated how proud he is that uh, his son is going to be the first one from his family to go to college, right? Because LeBron went straight from high school to the NBA and um, worked out pretty well for him um, as far as a human being and financially is concerned. But he is he was proud the fact that Bronny now had the opportunity to uh, go on to college. So he's like, hey, look, man, you know, um, you know, I'm proud of him. So were you more proud of Bronny going to college because of the opportunity to obtain a degree and live the college life? Or were you uh, um, happy about him going to college because he got a chance to play basketball and improve his skills and then become um, a player for the NBA? And he stated many times that, look, man, one of the greatest things that's going to be happening to me is going to be the opportunity for me to play with my son. That's going to be happening the last year of my NBA career. I'm going to be playing it with my son. I don't care how that's going to happen. I'm going to make it happen. And if you're LeBron James, who took his services to South Beach, and then when that wore out, he went back to Cleveland and did it for them. And then when that happened, he went Hollywood and won a championship there. So basically when LeBron, as far as a basketball player, is concerned concerning basketball business, when LeBron says he's going to be doing something, most of the time he goes ahead and gets it done. He wanted to uh, play with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade in Miami. He got that done. When he came back to Cleveland, he wanted to get rid of Andrew Wiggins, who was the number one draft pick for Kevin Love. He got that done. When he went to the Lakers and got rid of all of those other guys like the Brandon Ingrams and the D'Angelo Russells of the world because he wanted the um, he wanted uh, his boys to go ahead and get Anthony Davis from New Orleans, he got it done. So if there's a situation where he has an opportunity to play with his son, Bronny, before this happened, more likely than not, he would have gotten it done. And whether Bronny was going to be the first-round pick of the Indianapolis, excuse me, the uh, Indiana Pacers, or the Sacramento Kings, or the Washington Wizards, or the Houston Rockets, or the Minnesota Timberwolves, or wherever else that you wouldn't think LeBron James would be spreading his wings to play basketball at, 
if Bronny was going to be drafted or if Bronny was going to be on that team, LeBron was stating that that's where I'll be. Now, whether it be a question of him putting pressure on the Lakers to do whatever they needed to do to get Bronny on the team before all of this went down, we don't know. But that was LeBron's sentiment for the longest of times. Changed it a little bit when he said, hey, look, you know what? Um, it would be cool to do what, uh, you know, for me and Bronny to do what Ken Griffey Jr. and Sr. did uh, when Jr. and uh, Griffey Sr. were playing for the Seattle Mariners. But he said, hey, you know what? My dream might not be his dream. So we'll see what happens. So now it's interesting to see exactly what direction the James are going to take with their son. And look, they've got all the time in the world. I don't know, you know, no need for them to make some swift decision. And I don't even know if it's even appropriate to even speak about uh, this topic right now in terms of, okay, well, he's out of the hospital. So let's move on and talk about whether he's going to be playing basketball again. Maybe that is too soon. Maybe I'm, I am being a little bit too insensitive. But I'm, just, I'm just interested to know as a father or as a mother, how would you feel in this situation if you were in the position as the Jameses were? Because Shavana, his wife, I'm, I'm quite sure maybe her thoughts and opinions about Bronny moving forward in his NBA career or in his basketball career, that might be a little bit different than her husband, LeBron. And what does it mean now for Bryce moving forward? If they just make the decision that Bronny's basketball career is over because we don't want him having another cardiac arrest episode, now what does it put the pressure put on LeBron's uh, younger son, Bryce, who I think is changing high schools again to move to another basketball-situated high school, private high school, or something like that? What type of pressure does that put on, on him, Bryce? Because I don't know if Bryce is the same type of prospect with the same type of uh, of uh, potential to reach the NBA that Bronny did. So, so where do we go from there? How did that come into play? And again, if I'm well, if I was in that situation. You know, I'm not doing anything. I'm not moving anywhere until we go ahead and we talk to some folks. I've got the best doctors, the best um, folks out there to decide what we can do in this situation. But other than that, man, it would be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see if he does play for USC, if he takes a year off. And if he does take a year off, will he declare for the NBA draft? If he if he doesn't declare for the NBA draft and if he goes back and plays um, college basketball, are we looking at then uh, Bronny playing a couple of years? And if he does play a couple of years after sitting out a year, what does that mean for LeBron moving forward in his career? Is his career solely based on how long he wants to play? How much of playing with his son is going to be put into the stew in terms of determining how long he's going to be playing NBA basketball. Can he make it to 40? Can he make it to 41? How much of his decision in terms of, look, James has have said, has said, I'll give up the game, but I'm no longer the player that I think I can be to contribute to an NBA team, that I'm not one of the best players in the NBA, blah, blah, blah. How much of that is going to be taken into account if we do start to see some real slippage, but yet his son might be a year or two away from being in the NBA, how much of that dream of LeBron playing with the son is going to factor into the decision of him continuing his NBA career if he's no longer the guy that he thinks that he can be to still be on an NBA franchise or still be a main contributor to an NBA franchise. So those are the things that will be fascinating to see and think about moving forward. I'll get into uh, 
You know what? I wanted to speak about Jalen Brown being the highest paid player in the NBA, the first player to make over $300 million. Of all the folks, right? You would think Jokic, you would think Embiid, you would think Giannis, you would think LeBron, you would think Curry, you would think all these guys, right? Jalen Brown, huh? Jalen Brown, first guy that's making over $300 million in his career. And I think Bobby Marks was talking about by the time he's in the last year of his career, he's going to be making close to $70 million. Not bad. Not bad. But how much of this new collective bargaining agreement that the players and the the, uh, owners agreed upon how much is that in terms of how much impact did that ha- did that have not just for the high end players for someone like a Jalen Brown to be making that type of money but then how is that going to affect the the, the guys that aren't superstars the guys who are maybe maybe you know rotation players guys who are starters but are like you know the fourth or fifth starter on their team. Uh, guys who are coming off the bench. Rotation players. I mean now. Because the way the CBA is. A lot of that money that they would be getting. Now is going to be going to. Second tier superstars like Jalen Brown. To be making that type of money. And the effect is going to be placed on. Uh, the guys that are not all stars. But are still important to the team. Those are the guys that are going to be taking the pay cut. Those are the guys that are going to be treated like NFL running backs. When it comes from them to be paid what they're worth. So all of those things I will be discussing also in terms of the uh, in-season basketball tournament in the NBA. I haven't even taken a look at that yet. I'll marinate on that a little bit later. So put that in the put that in storage, put that on layaway, and I'll uh, start making payments on that later on down the road. All right, I'm out. I'm good. I'm out of here. I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, everybody out there, please, 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 like I was James Brown, treat everybody with respect who deserve it. Take the time to learn from others, please, regardless of race, religion, gender, nationality, financial situation, status. Just do your best, please, to grow and to learn, to listen, to shut up. When people are explaining and educating themselves to you, if we could do that, the world would be in a much better place. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports, get me out of here with some music. I walk along the city streets you used to walk along with me. Every step I take recalls how much in love we used to be. Oh, how can I forget you when there is always something there to remind me? Always something there to remind me. I was born to love you, and I will make. Always be a part of me. Oh, 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 oh. When shadows fall, I pass the small cafe where we were dancing that night. And I can't help recalling how it felt to kiss and hold your tight. Oh, how can I forget you? And there is always something that to.
Can I forget you when there? 